And this is a Blinky Nicky Gutsy. Welcome to That Shit We Do Like, a podcast about, well, it's in the name. In this episode, we'll be discussing the Pacific Rim duology and the Pentecost family mustache. I'm Nick. And I'm B. Pacific Rim was released in 2013 and the Kaiju vs. Giant Mech blockbuster stars Charlie Hunnam as Riley Beckett, Rinko Kikuchi as Mako Mori, and Idris Ilba as Stacker Pentecost. The follow-up, Pacific Rim Uprising, dropped in 2018 and stars John Boyega as Jake Pentecost, Scott Eastwood as Nate Lambert, and Kaylee Spaney as Amara Namani. Appearing in both films are Charlie Day as Newt and Byron Gorman as Gottlieb. The first film was co-written and directed by monster maven Guillermo del Toro, who didn't return for the second installment, which might explain the difference in just about everything except the basic premise. The audience and critic scores for the films are for Pacific Rim, 77% audience score and 72 for critics. So it's certified fresh. And for Uprising, it's 38 for the audience score and 42 for the critics, which is a rare a situation where the critics like it more than the audience. Um, and this is just a rude, rude score. Absolutely. <laughs> But we'll circle back to that. We're going to start with the first film. The first one was, I feel like it was amazing. I feel like it was (laughs) a perfect film in a lot of ways. Like, yes, it was, there were, it was not perfect in the literal sense, but it was perfect in the way it hit for me. I wonder what you, what what your thoughts are about the original, the first Pacific Rim. Yeah. I mean, it came out at the perfect time, impeccable timing, actually, because um, I think, um, we were looking for more movies like that at the time. I mean, we have like Marvel popping off a little bit, but on the other side, there wasn't really much going on except for like, you know, Transformers and things of that nature. So for an action movie to be set in the future and then have like this amazing um, just look to it and different story was awesome. So the basic and it's an extremely quick recap because it's kind of a very simple story. There are huge <laughs> monsters that uh, come into our world through a breach in the Pacific Rim. And humans built giant mechs to fight them. But we come into the first film. This has been going on for a few years. Human, humanity. I, I, like I'm saying humanity because I don't know which countries are involved with the decision making here. But have decided like we're going to build big ass walls. We're going to build big ass walls a la Attack on Titan. And we're going <laughs> to just have people are going to be in walls. And the monsters are not going to be able to get into the city. And so they're decommissioning the giant mechs, which are called Jaegers. So they're decommissioning the Jaegers. It's just Elba, who plays Stacker Pentecost, is like, Bruh, we need the Jaegers. We need to fight these things. That wall ain't shit. And after they're building the walls, you know, one of the guys you come, knock the walls all out. They're like, damn, these these walls really ain't doing nothing. Ain't worth a damn. <laughs> Basically, Pentecost is trying to like rally the last few. It's like four Jaegers left. Um, out of like, I think they said they commissioned a hundred. Um, there were four left. He like trying to get like someone to pilot 
one of the older ones, um, which is called Gypsy Adventure. And <laughs> like we're gonna we're gonna let y'all have this on the name because I don't want to project onto what your decision making was. But, but like, maybe choices were made. So I'm gonna say for 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 my from from this pod perspective that like that was a problematic name choice. We don't agree with it. Uh and I will not repeat the name. I will try not to. It is the name of the mech, so I might accidentally slip up. But I said it. We'll call it Avenger. <laughs> so they have he has to go find someone who can pilot that OG mech. And he goes to find Raleigh, like North Carolina, and not like Riley, which is weird because I thought it was Riley until I saw it written. I was like, oh, they missed <laughs> Riley this whole time. No, just a little tidbit. Um, because you know, he was one of OGs with it. Yeah. I mean, that's like the long and short of it. Like he has to recruit them. They have a plan to like blow up the breach so that no, no more of the kaiju can come through. Yeah. A solid plan that they discover later has a few hitches that <laughs> they are going to overcome because obviously they are. But that's the basic premise. Yeah. It's not a super complex story. What I think this film does really, really well is make its action heroes extremely likable and extremely empathetic um, in a way that I don't know that we get with action heroes. Like, yeah. we do. Like, you get, like, a John McClane, and, like, he's doing all this diehard for his family or whatever. Yeah. He has, like, some kind of thing. I feel like it's different because in that case, you know, he's doing it for his family. And, you know, it's like he has a stake in that, I guess, to an extent. But in this movie, it's more like Riley's able to see what's under the surface of the people around him. And he's empathetic towards that. Yeah, like this one, all of the, I would say all of the characters, even even outside of the core cast, like every character who gets to speak or every character who really gets to have a part in the story, like they give them heart and give them like a, a, like a space, which I think is why this movie hits the way it does. It's because... A, it's really, I would say, maybe, and maybe I'm wrong, but, like, it's it's hard to, like, care about, like, we are used to, I'm, I'm speaking from, like, a POC, like, I'm a black person, right, perspective. We are very used to, like, the white person is the hero, but I don't care about the hero. Right. Kind of thing. Like, I watch it because I enjoy this kind of film or whatever, but I don't care about the hero. I, yeah. like, I want to see things blow up. I want to see the action. I want whatever. This is one of the rare occasions that i could think of genuinely caring about this white man like oh damn like i hope nothing happens to riley like i love him and they make him a very kind of like accessible character because he's normal like he's just normal in a way that it's hard to like i can't even express it like yeah. he just well i think it's because he's also wounded so we didn't talk about the fact that the reason why he hasn't been you know in the military and working with the Jaegers is because the, his last mission was with his brother and they controlled them together and his brother ended up passing away when you're um, controlling them together you're kind of connected like mind meld so he got to feel all of his brother's fear and pain and all of that and then nothingness so that's that'll kind of mess right. you up you know <laughs> yeah I did forget to like I did forget to say in the like premise it also is I think actually the bigger point of the film outside of the kaiju is the fact that the way that they control the mechs are that two or more pilots have to be drift compatible. So drift compatible means that y'all can basically, like Bianca said, have a mind meld and be completely in each other's thoughts because y'all have to basically have split second decision making about fighting, right? So you have to be in the same, y'all have to be able to think and process kind of similarly. And work in sync. Yes. He was with his brother when 
his brother died. So um, my, like, mind you, y'all are connected. I mean, he felt basically he would have felt himself die because he would have been connected to his brother when he died. So that's the thing about it. Like he literally experienced death, but also in this universe, it's basically unheard of for someone like to pilot a Jaeger by themselves. Once his brother died, he was still able to get a ship to safety and like get, get himself to safety and like finish the fight. Mm-hmm. And that made him also kind of like unique. Yeah. And the only other person in this universe who had ever been able to do that was Stagger Pentecost. That's why he's running this right now because like he's the OG, triple OG, triple OG, triple. <laughs> yo, yo, what's up, OG, triple OG? They OG, really triple, did a, a wonderful job like OG. humanizing that character and making him like extremely... Like I said, he's likable in a way that I don't think a lot of action heroes actually are. Like, a lot of them are, like, the assholes and you love them because they say the things that, like, this is a thing that, you know, I can never say out loud because I'm not an asshole, right? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. But they can do it because they're the hero. But he is very much, like, he kind of like that white friend. Like, you want to have a white friend like him. Like, you want to be, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he seems like he understands things. Yeah. Very just, he's normal in a way that. I think they don't make action heroes. Like he's just, he doesn't feel super powered. No. He doesn't feel like uh, anomalous. He feels like a person who is the way he is because he tried. Like he just learned how to be good at fighting. It wasn't something that like, oh, I'm just innately born with all these talents. Yeah. And that I think is the key because a lot of heroes, they just are the shit and there's no reason for it. And they just, oh, I just happen to be good with guns. I just happen to be, you know. Yeah. He feels like a person that at some point, like he was good at it, but also cared about it and tried to be good at it. And then like you see that so Mako is Pentecost's kind of adoptive daughter. Mm-hmm. He basically saved her from like a huge crab kaiju, which shout out to her. Cause if I was like six or however old she was yes. when I was happening, I would have simply perished. I would have had to go ahead and die <laughs> because you're not chasing me through the city with, I got one shoe on, one right. little Mary Jane. Jeez. She held on to the, the Mary Jane. For real. I'd be like, this is it. This is the end for me. <laughs> The whole time. The shoe would have been the first thing gone, but I guess it was like a coping mechanism. She's like, this shoe, I got to keep it on me. On my person. (laughs) When he rescued her as a child, he basically raised her, but also that meant that she was being trained to be a Jaeger pilot. However, because of that trauma of that experience, he knew that she would have trouble in the drift because when you drift, you also kind of, it kind of brings memories and things forward. Usually people's traumatic memories, it seems like. (laughs) Yeah, like I assume it's, like it's just a flush of everything you think of but because you are kind of consciously aware of it you can get lost in the thoughts so they say like chase the rabbit which is like follow the memory or like actually let the memory play all the way through after all this like back and forth because pentecost is like you are not gonna be up in this jaeger my little homie and she was like please i trained i'm like the best i could fight and then rally was like she is clearly the best candidate. Like, we are clearly vibing with each other. Like, let her be in the, the you know, let her be a pilot with me. Mm-hmm. He finally let her do it. When they do their little test, she gets lost in her memory. And now, this is the memory where we learn about how she met. Yeah, because until that point, you don't know that she is Pentecost's daughter. You're just like, why is he so weird to this? <laughs> yeah, and like, he's a terrible mentor, you know? And it almost reads it's sexism. Like, oh, so you don't want your female cadet to go into these da-da-da. And then it's like, the, it's the protectiveness is because actually that's just like he's his child versus yeah. it being somebody he doesn't think is capable. Yeah. And it's just that fear of her going into the drift and having to relive that experience and he knows what that's like because he's obviously drifted before but he's like yeah i trained and i know i was a soldier before these kaiju ever popped out so i've always known how to deal with trauma in the moment but yeah she you know she gets through it because you know they they um, actually honestly they unplug it that's why she didn't light them up but she gets through it whatever things happen 
and they they drip they they be drifting out here. They have some kaiju fights. They beat up some big old monsters, which I think are really great fights. That I did, like. I think I knew in the moment when I like because I saw. I think I saw both in theaters. I definitely saw both in theaters. Yeah, me too. And the fights are so. The reason why they're good is one, they are legible, which means I can tell what's happening while the fight is happening. Also, it has daylight. That's something we don't see anymore. No, because I think there is a, and I will use Transformers as a perfect example of this, uh, idea that the more technological it looks or the more like complex it looks, the cooler it looks. And that is true for a moment. Like the first time a Transformer transformed, you like, God damn, he did that. Yeah, we were shook. <laughs> Boom, that's cool. But when they are fighting and doing all this stuff, I want to know what, like, I could not tell you who got the upper hand in the Transformer fight. if At all, not even a little bit. The only way you know who's like doing what is because they have color palettes. Like, oh, obviously this is Optimus. He's red and blue. The red and blue one is doing something. But if they was all like the same, like silver color, I wouldn't know nothing because these are, those fights are really illegible. Like they do not read well because it's so much happening and they are so technical, which I guess is a marvel. Like it is a feat, right? But it's also, I'm watching as an audience member. I just want to be able to tell who getting swung on with Pacific Rim what I realized in rewatching it is that I can always tell what is happening. And I love that they intersperse what the, what the Jaeger is doing with what the pilots are doing so we'll go in they'll have like the scene there'll be swinging we'll see like the jaeger swing and then it'll flash into like we see inside of yeah the command center where they're doing the actions i love seeing that constantly yeah. reiterated that these are this is being controlled by people <laughs> right these are human people who are still having to think and react they have to use their real fighting skills and their real problem solving skills in the moment it's mm-hmm. not magic. It's people, the, the mech, the body, the, the, the robot, whatever, is a tool. They yeah. are still, the fighters are still important. And I, that's the thing I think I love the most about these movies is how important the pilot is. Because in, in the second one, they, they kind of try to eliminate the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> we are reminded why having a person who has instinct and who has an emotional understanding of things helps. Because there's like, and that has memory. Like, you know what I mean? Because they're like, oh, remember that time we did this thing? Let's yeah. do the thing. And that's something that, like a computer or like an AI cannot or not maybe think about because they are mm. processing data differently than like a human brain. So that's one of my favorite things about the first one, especially because of the fact that it is extremely grounded, even considering the scope of the fights and the scope of the story. So with the 77 audience and 72 critics, which is fairly close, actually, honestly, that still feels kind of lowish to me on a percentage. <laughs> okay, I thought I was the only one. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like it could be at least mid 80s. Right. I described this later because when it, I feel like when it came out, I want to say that it was a lot more positive. And I felt like I didn't really see. And this is probably just me because I do curate my space to be welcoming to my own perspectives. Um, so I felt like a lot of it was overwhelmingly positive, And I don't recall seeing a lot of specific criticism. Like there was criticism, but it was much less. Yeah, I don't remember a lot either. Yeah, I have noticed in like the last couple of years that when people talk about Pacific Rim, there's a lot more nuance to the conversation. And so I do feel like, 72 makes sense now that I have a better understanding of what other people are talking about with it. But in my bubble, I didn't know anybody who didn't have, like, mostly fondness. Like, there are, it's like one of those things, like, you love and there are caveats. Like, oh, I love this, except this one little thing, but it doesn't take away from it. But yeah, I, I think still 70, the 70s feel low to me. 
I feel like mid eighties. Yeah, feels right to me. It's still certified fresh. I think <laughs> we still things over ninety feel like they feel real. Like I can't think of that many things that are over ninety, and yeah. the things that are are always like phenomenal. Like, you know what I mean? Like cultural juggernauts. Like things that people are like. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of people might not have seen this when it first came out. You know, because they weren't sure what it was. But you know, word of mouth, then more people went to go see it too. Yeah, and I think it's also one of those things that it hits different when you rewatch it. Because I've seen it a lot. Like, I've seen the first one, like, a lot. But I still enjoyed it, so I watched it. But it's one of those things where I feel like you pick up a different thing kind of every time you watch. And it's one of those things, because it's a very simple story, but there are a lot of, like, really small moments or things that you like i like the idea that i feel like they're trying to put here i like some kind of character dynamic or something that you don't necessarily pick up on until you rewatch. yeah i think that's what the first one did really well with characters and making their heroes and making the people that we are supposed to follow people we want to follow and want to root for in a way that i don't know that most action movies do because mm-hmm. going back to transformers as an example like i like stan with with you stan with with mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure it's something s it's an s name but it was like <laughs> he was yeah i hate to say it a like i truly hate this for me Dave. but in the moment at the time he was just a regular he wasn't yes. problematic yet yeah he so, was problematic yet. i love charlie buck that mm-hmm. was the situation so i brought all of that into that film I cannot say Him. with absolute certainty that I would have cared a single sit about Sam with Wiki if it was played by somebody I didn't already like a lot. So, whereas this one is like, I like Charlie Hunnam. I've always thought he was cute, but I didn't yeah. care about him. Like, I didn't wasn't investing in him as I an mean, actor. I was a huge Sons of Anarchy fan, so <laughs> I, I came in there for Charlie Hunnam too. But I like I liked him, but I've never I didn't like, I didn't know if I liked him enough that I would like something just because he was the person playing it. And now I like him so much because of Pacific Rim. Cause I'm like, he's just so cool. Like that's another thing too. Like Riley is so fucking chill. He is just so like, and not even that he's apathetic. Cause I think that's another thing that people be apathetic. And it's like, if you don't care, why should I care? As the person watching this, it's just that he just like, he uh, weary. You know what it is? He's weary. And that, you know, I he's relate giving to millennial weird. vibes. Like this is bad. We know. We're going to deal with it. Like, whatever. <laughs> I think that was really what it is. Like, I think in, him and Mako had, like, a really... I love their dynamic and their relationship because... So, at the end of the movie, when they successfully figure out how to blow up the breach and thereby closing it, thereby cutting off the kaiju from entering our world. Yes. You know, it, it's dicey. It's very, very dicey. dicey. We like, are they going to make it? <laughs> so, they make... You know, the, the, the they escape pods come up. You know, they hug it out. And it's like... That moment is so cute to me and so, like, so pure. It's, like, one of my favorite moments in any film. Just because the obvious thing in my head, it's like, they gonna have, they could kiss right here. This is gonna be a kiss Yeah, moment. I was dreading But I it. love that they don't kiss. And it's not that I don't want them to be romantically involved, because I also think that's a compelling story. But I love that for the story they were telling, they left it where, in my mind, it very much reads like, I want to pursue romantic, like, relationship. I very much want to explore what that means. But that wasn't the point of this movie. We're not going to lean into it or not make it a point. But it also reads as, like, platonic friendship. They do know what's going on in each other's minds and things like that, too. And, you know, they're bonded in that way. And it doesn't have to be romantic, either. The reason I say I think that they were still writing them romantically is only because when Raleigh is talking to... Mako, like right before, like when they think, like, they might fuck around and die. And he's like, uh, something about, he was just talking about, like, I never thought about the future until now. And then something about the timing being, like, oh, but I've always had bad timing. That does not feel like a platonic statement to me. Like, 
I don't think, like, to my friend, like, damn, bitch, I wish we would have been friends for 10 You know, I don't know. That's just not, like, it didn't read platonic to me. And that's really the only line that makes me think that there is, or they were, again, I don't think it was ever the point, but I do think they wanted to let the audience know or leave room for a romance to be the next step of that relationship. But I don't think they wanted this film to be the start of the romantic relationship. I like that they left it where Riley's fine, and then Michael's like, you know, they just relieved, like, they laughed, they relieved that they made it. And I just like that comfort. I love that they left it at, like, a hug. And not to say that a hug can't be romantic. And not to say that a kiss automatically means something more. But I like that they opened up the opportunity for it to be a romantic relationship, but didn't force that ending. Because I think the platonic friendship is the, like, important part of that relationship and the connection they make. And it's a trusting because he immediately kind of trusted and, like, instinctively felt like he would get along with her and i don't think that was like oh she's fine like i think it was very much like seeing how she handles herself like i think we gonna vibe because she seems to be able to deal with stuff in a way that i would and then when they like when that's proven to be true they like you know they connect so i like that but when i heard that line because i had really honestly had never thought about them romantically or not never but i was like people who ship them i'm like oh y'all are just kind of projecting but I, when i heard that i said oh no wait a minute in other contexts if you had said that line, I have I just finished season two of Bridgerton. Like if Anthony had said that the Kate oh, Bridgerton, <laughs> it would have been a wrap. Like that would have been just like Penny soaking the whole thing because of the, <laughs> the words, but because of the context of the words and how chill he said it, he was like, "Damn, like I never thought about the future until now." Like he made it very casual, but I'm like, "No, nah, that's something that's I don't know." I read it much more romantically and I'm not a person that like leans into shipping if it doesn't feel like it makes sense for those characters. Yeah. I, but I love that they went with the hug and went with the, like just being relieved that each other are okay and safe mm-hmm. and that they did what they went to do. Yeah. Because I think that even if you are in like, I care about you romantically, I, this is not the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. We almost died. I don't have time for this. This is not the time for it, this. I think it would have been a weird point for them to kiss too because like her dad <laughs> Right, her dad just, um, just died. Like just died. he didn't make, and it. that's also his mentor. And like you know, it's just a thing. Yeah. So yeah, I was very glad that they did not do that. Even though I do like now headcanon that that they eventually get into a romantic relationship. Yeah. I like the idea of them being in a romantic relationship, but it not being the immediate result of this. Yeah. So there's a ten year gap between the first movie and the second movie. So in my mind, within that ten years, at some point they dated. Now were they still dating by the the second movie? Who can say? But I like the idea that they had a romantic relationship and like explored that fully. I don't even know. I lost my whole train of thought with this because so I have literally so many thoughts about this film. No, you own it. You just talking about the ending and the no kiss ending was great. So on to the second film, which is mm-hmm. Pacific Rim Uprising. Uprising. I want to start out by saying that Pacific Rim Uprising is not really, it's a sequel it is a continuation of the story, but it is completely removed. Um, I don't think anybody, in terms of like the writers, directors, came back or producers. Yeah. So it, it doesn't have any of the like original writers and like uh, directors. Guillermo uh, del Toro did not have, I think, anything to do with it. It was a different. I think it was Stephen S. The Knight. Who, oh, when I looked at the IMDb, did a lot of things I like, like Spartacus, and I think they did some episodes of Daredevil. Like I like, I was with it when I was reading that. I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me. So yeah, but these are different creative teams completely. Yeah. So I feel like that's important to say up front because I think the key difference in these films are that they are just approached differently. They feel different, but it is a continuation of the story. And I do think you have to have seen the first one to like fully appreciate the second one. So it's not one of those situations where like, Oh, they just kind of took the name and didn't really 
keep with it. No, they actually, like, it's a continuation of the story. So you do want to have the first movie context. Mm-hmm. But they are different. And I, and I feel like if they had done a better job at not, or not not connecting them, but, like, I don't know, selling them as different films, I don't know. I think it would have gotten better reception. Like, it would have been received better. People weren't immediately maybe comparing them. I don't know. But also, there's a five-year gap. Yeah. And so it's... And then it doesn't have the original star that everybody was, like, in love with and, you know. Right. And um, then... <laughs> I don't know if we want to call it. Well, no, let's not call it that. Let's move on. <laughs> let's talk about the premise and how it connects. Because, like I said, Idris Elba is Thacker Pentecost. John Boyega playing Jake Pentecost, which he's his son. We did not meet his son in the first film. No. Here's the thing about the first film. They don't talk about anything that is not relevant to the immediate story in the first film. Yes. Which means any and all characters can be explored. And it wouldn't be like, oh, y'all adding stuff, or y'all making up stuff, or whatever. Like, yeah. they don't say nothing about nobody. Riley can have a wife and kids, and it would not really, we couldn't we couldn't be mad about it, because they didn't never say he didn't have a wife and kids. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. So they definitely left a lot of room for characters to be explored. So what they chose to do is make John Boyega Idris Elba son, which is like, hello, y'all yeah. need to do that for real, for real. But like, right. I need to see that. See them on screen, on screen together. Together, right. <laughs> let's, I like, like, y'all, y'all got the good, the right idea. Let's, We'd love let's to see it. Keep that energy. Okay, so it's 10 years after the end of the first film. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of the world, the coast mainly, that are still, they are basically the ghetto now. Like, they are the, the <laughs> yeah. they like, whatever. Yeah, people fled the for their lives and it's right. trash. And they just left the coast kind of trashed and, like, they still have Taiju remains and mm-hmm. they never fixed any of the, like, they never reconstructed those areas. They just, like, people moved to the cities. They went further inland, yeah, which because, makes sense. Like, why would you, why would you try to be on the coast after you didn't see giant monsters come out of the ocean? Yeah, yeah. I, like, it's, I don't, that's the one thing that's unclear to me about, like, if, like, what the logic is to it well i think in the beginning of it they say that because after you know the events of the first film there hasn't been any kaiju attacks in years and so that's why everybody's like well you know this is fine we don't really have to do much anymore you know they close the gap there's nobody coming it is what it is we're moving to the cities leave the the hood to the hood and (laughs) this is the part that trips me up especially because i realized I did not notice this the many times I've seen this movie before, but they are like in Santa Monica <laughs> at the beginning. So these are like in LA. Santa yeah. Monica is one of the most expensive places you can live, right? Yeah. Like that is, you're telling me like the Santa Monica, the Palisades, Malibu area has been abandoned. Like these are where people have multi-million dollar houses. And they left were abandoned and they went into, they went inland. So my thought was, like, I get it if you're, like, if they're operating under, like, oh, it, they can always come back, so we want to keep the... But that don't make sense, because if that's your thought, like, oh, ain't no point in fixing it, because they might come back, I mean, you would then probably build a defense around the also coast, feel like, right? you know, maybe those people died, too, because, you know, them houses... Like, I don't know. That was one of those weird things to me where I'm like, I get it. Like, oh, <laughs> it makes why sense. build the cities back up? They also messed up the cities. Like, what? what is the choice here? Like, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I was like, the I wonder. The choice is to be inland so you're not as close to the water just in case something pops off again. That's but it's like, you didn't do nothing to protect. <laughs> like, if the, if y'all abandon the coast and therefore there is nothing stopping, like, something, they start coming back, which, you know. If they start coming back, <laughs> y'all have not done no work to make the coast yeah, safer. Yeah, you think they would at least build So you wall. really don't do, like, I don't, yeah, like, do something. Like, I, that's what was confusing to me. they like, oh, whatever. Go through the coast. You know, maybe that's they the thought um, China was going to pay for the wall. 
I don't know what they thought was gonna happen. Mexico's gonna pay for the wall, girl. I don't know. Here's the thing that's also don't make sense. And then I'm picking it apart, but I love it. But it don't make sense because A, they leave the coast, like, oh, whatever, the coast or whatever. So the coasts are free for all where people can live and like do hoorah shit, which is fine. I love it. I love yeah. that. But also, they have a Jaeger program. Ten years later, they are A making Jaegers. They are in a, they are constantly creating new ones. They yeah. are training pilots. Meaning y'all are planning They're or planning, at least wanting to be no, ready for the inevitability. Be, they want them to be military weapons, I'm sure. There are cheaper military weapons. They very much are, but once you see... But that also don't work because this in this world, in the Pacific Rim world, they are allies. So who are you fighting? They about to fight each other because they ain't had nothing to do for 10 years. <laughs> what do you mean? That's the my main gripe is that sounds, a, well i mean it sounds american to me but hey i mean but that's what i'm saying the jaeger program isn't actually american it's i know like it's literally it's all become like one world international and i'm like okay i'm gonna let y'all have that i don't believe that even global yeah i mean it would have been more realistic together. if they found out like america was making <laughs> jaegers so they can take some stuff over like that would make right it. but that would be realistic but also like america my point is as a the, the basic premise is that's where it gets confusing for me or not confusing but that's just one of those things where like you had to justify yeah if you poke years. at it too much it falls apart right it's just like my whole thing is like y'all either y'all either expect them to come back so y'all want to be prepared which i think is the correct thing right like yeah. We don't know where they came from to begin with, so why not be prepared? Yeah. So the Jaeger program makes sense. And the ocean is big AF, so there could be more than one portal, so. Right. Then that's when my thought is, like, why would y'all abandon the coast cities? If y'all believe they are coming back, then that to me tells me, if nothing else, like, I can see abandoning the cities, like, not rebuilding homes and stuff, but why would you not then make the, the coast? Military. Right. Like, mm-hmm. somewhere, like, a defense point. And it's, like, the fact that they're, like, no, we're just going to abandon this coast, but we still, <laughs> like, think they're going to come back. You think they're going to just, like, they're just going to step over the rubble and go into the city like they've been doing. <laughs> they was doing that before y'all been, like, it's weird. So that was one of the things. So, rant over, because that was pretty much my major, I have two major qualms, but that's, that's the first the one. first one. <laughs> that's the basic thing. Okay, so, I because I definitely went on a, tire, a tirade, a rant. So, Jake is in street. He's like a hustler. He goes through, he, like, salvages. Yeah, he's like a scavenger. Yeah. Gator parts and, like, sells them. He does all this, he, but he out here like he's like he's thriving because again the coastal areas they are left alone. And mind you, because I realized this last night, they are like in Malibu, they are like in Santa Monica, they are like in the Palisades. So these are like multi million dollar mansions that mm-hmm. were left. So technically, there's a lot of things that could be looted and booted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he out here, but anyway, he's going. He's looking for a processor or some kind of part, and he's like he's working with some bad people who were like he's already crossed them it was the funny part like why would you work with somebody you didn't already cross <laughs> whatever but he, they, he's like oh, i'm gonna find this part and we're gonna all get rich bing bang boom but then little homegirl her amara, last name is amara amara there we go mm-hmm. i'm like what is her name um little amara steals it first and so he gotta outrun he gotta like run away from the goons and also like he's trying to catch her right. and he like tracks her to her little lair. She didn't build her little baby Jaeger. It's a cute little, I love it. <laughs> I think, what, what is his name? Crush? Not Crusher. I don't remember the Jaeger's name. I'm sorry. But it's a cute little Jaeger that she sorry built. To and that she Jaeger. made it small enough. It's a very small Jaeger. Meaning it can be piloted with one person. And like when the feds, I forgot what they call them, the, the Jaeger Defense Corp. That's not what they're called, let's be clear. When they find them, 
you know, they go on this cute little chase or whatever, and then they get caught because it's a little Jaeger. It's like a very small Jaeger compared to the official ones. Mako, who is Jake's sister, mind you, like, oh, they get arrested. So Mako is like, yeah, you can either go to jail or you can re-enlist in the corpse and be a train, like training kids how to be a Jaeger pilot. Mm-hmm. And he like, damn, cold world. So he gets re-enlisted. They like, oh yeah, we bring in your little homegirl too because obviously she know how to build and pilot yeah, a Jaeger. Like, <laughs> she clearly got the skills. Girls in and STEM. So, right, so when she get up in there, when they get up in there, you know, him and Scott Eastwood, Nate, he just like, they got beef from whenever, I guess, when they were both beginner yeah. cadets together. If you're going off what the story is, I guess you would think that they were in cadets together and then once his dad died, he freaking took off. I guess the beef that he left him. I don't think there was like a fighter. I think I think he was. Was he his drift partner? Now I had to start all over <laughs> with somebody else. Right. He's, you know, they're just antagonistic because obviously you need to have somebody push and pull. But like, they are not. It's very, very like light. Yeah, it's casual very casual. It's kind of like dealing with your irritating you know brother cousin you know yeah. just your your dumb friend <laughs> you're like okay this is who you are but why are you the way that you are yeah so the story in this one is that there is another there's a corporation that wants to basically make drones so mm-hmm. they are jaegers that are piloted by just like well actually no so they would they would be drones but they would still be technically piloted by human people it yeah. would just be remote so yeah. instead of y'all being inside of one of the Jaegers, the Jaegers would be like, you just log in, fight, log out, whatever. Yeah. So that's the goal. However, we didn't even talk about these folks. So in the first movie, there are two scientists. It's Newt and it's Gottlieb. Gottlieb is like the math guy. He's the one that's like prediction, whatever. And then Newt, weird ass, is... <laughs> Newt is the one that is like, He's studying the kaiju physiology. So he's like, you know, their actual physical whatever. And so in the first one, he has the bright idea to drift, basically, with the kaiju brain. Which is useful in the story in that they learn how the kaijus work. And therefore, we're able to use that information to open the breach, to drop the bomb, whatever. You know, we'll drop the Jaeger into it and blow it up. So that worked. However, as we know, because we're all watching the same movie... When you drift, that's a two-way process. Mm-hmm. So you are also opening your mind up to the to the kaiju brain. So in the first film, they don't really lean into it, but they do make a point that like they know who he is and like can find him because they were connected to him. In the second film, they really lean into it. Apparently, for that whole ten years, he's had like a kaiju brain that he just drifts with all the time. His crack. That's what he does. But because of that. Because it's a two-way street, the kaiju has been basically using him. Or not the kaiju. The precursors is what they call the people who created the kaiju. So the precursor is just, I don't know, it's like Inception, essentially. It's basically telling him to do stuff or, like, making him do stuff, but he thinks he's just doing it. Like, I don't know how to explain it. But, like, it's basically controlling him. All the while, he works for the company that's making the drones. The whole time they're making these drone programs, he is, like, adding fake kaiju DNA to the drones so that they yeah. would be the, the kaiju. And so when they launch the drones, kaiju take over all the drones. So they fighting. It's mechs versus mechs, but this mech, the mechs that are piloted by humans, or, you know, the Jaegers piloted by humans, and then it's the kaiju Jaegers. 
It's a whole thing. But earlier, let me back up. This is the part we don't do. This is the part we don't do, okay? <laughs> Before we learn about the whole thing, the first time we meet the monster Jaeger, a kaiju Jaeger, there's like a summit of some sort where they're going to talk about the drones and like approve them. It was like the board meeting. The company wants to have the drones and then John Boyega's sister from the first movie is on the board and it's her vote that will either make or break this whole thing. And she's like, um, we don't need to have these just being drones. You know, we need to have people in them because, you know, when something's remote, that means someone can get into it. <laughs> so her plan was to kind of flip the table on them and not cast the vote for these remote drones. So Michael was like, yeah. Mm, I find this technology dubious. So she's on a helicopter flying in. One of these, the first one, I thought they call him like Obsidian Fury, I believe, which is a cool ass name for a Jaeger. Obsidian Fury comes out of the ocean, starts swinging on people. He's like, he starts swinging. He's just like, boobop, throwing hands. Avenger, with name we've already said we're not gonna say, which is piloted by Jake and Nate. They were supposed to just be there to be cute and just like pose, like, hey, Jaeger, go up. They thought they had to like fight this other one. Like the other one is moving fluid as hell. The other one got like them quick hands, got wheels, got real fast reflexes in a way that they don't have because, you know, machinery. What ends up happening is like, Mako is clearly, I guess she started scanning that other one immediately. Like, what the hell is this? So she's like pulling data she can see something is amiss. I believe that she's trying to tell them that, like that is that some there is something kaiju related about that. But all that she's able to send is coordinates because the helicopter she's in gets <laughs> they just it gets taken out. And Avenger yeah. barely they trying to catch like they had to fight Obsidian Fury. So I'm not mad that they had to like cause that you know that thing is a threat to everybody. But like they almost catch her, they almost catch the helicopter, but they miss it by they miss it by so much like it scratches the helicopter. So they like th they they nail just taps it, but they couldn't quite get the palm out to catch her. So they kill my good sis, Michael Mori. Now here's what I don't appreciate: they didn't have to do that. That's the first sport balls. Like that just didn't need to happen at all. They absolutely did not have to do that because of when it happens and what what it functions as in the story it is a frigid this is a series where people can die this is a this is a thing where i feel like it's not realistic and it's not fun if there are no stakes however because the fact that they basically had mako die so that jake has a personal stake yeah because the whole time jake's been like as soon as y'all sign all these papers i'm out of here like as soon as they're remote i don't have to be here and i'm good they freeze her to give him a personal stake and wanting to be a pilot and wanting to be there and i don't like that i don't like it for a lot of reasons i don't like it because you freezing a woman i don't like it because i think that mako should still exists in this universe i don't understand why they needed to do it because like he lost his dad and also now jake has no family at all his daddy gone his mom his mama gone his sister gone like he ain't got nobody now except for the military and i'm like that's kind of a weird thing you know what i mean that's literally a part of the plot so we're not even projecting that they really make it like these people end up being your family yeah. and that is a true statement in the sense that you when you are in a military service with somebody and then y'all spending like every waking day with each other y'all do have bonds i think you want to protect that person whatever but i don't like the idea that it's like we family because we are you know no like no yeah 
It's the worst kind of family. It ain't even it's like found family. family. It ain't like we chose each other. It's like we literally are put here. We have to we have to bond so that we can work well together. Like that's kind of a requirement. So yeah, I don't yeah. like that. So that was my second major thing. That was like the big hit for me on this film because it like you killed her to further Jake's story. Also, I feel like her character was too badass to go out like that. So it's it's disappointing. I don't know if she didn't want to come back or whatever the situation was, but I do feel like there was a reason that they only had a limited amount of time with the character. But my whole thought was like, you didn't have to kill her in order to do that. You could have just made her be, she pops up and then she's out doing something else. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously not fighting in Jaegers anymore. Like she has a corporate type job situation going on. So she's now obviously some type of liaison between the military or, you know, the Jaeger corp, whatever. And like, the countries that they all work with. Mm-hmm. Again, I just thought there were a lot of ways to keep that character and keep that the spirit of the character. Like you can move Jake's story forward without having to kill her. So that was my that's my major, really major. Yeah, they could have even did like a fake death. Like he thought she was gone. It was very much a situation where I was like, oh, maybe they're going to think it. And then like she got out of there. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't. I don't appreciate that. So that was the major qualm. But other than that, I actually really, really like this. So for me, the audience score being in the 30s is a while to me. Uh, Well, okay, the critics. So the critics are at 42 (laughs) in audience is at 38 so like split the difference it's about 40 right um that to me feels really really low i don't yeah i don't know why it's that low because i watched it last night and Mm -hmm. i have seen it multiple times like i saw it in theaters i actually saw it funnily enough at the premiere (laughs) like i just randomly had got tickets to the premiere (laughs) me and brie went and we actually saw it in the theater with people that were in the movie. We met some of them because we ended up right at the red carpet. It was a whole mess. I saw the premiere. I think I also saw it in theater. So I was like, I want to see it. It was fun. I bought it. Like, I own it. So I watched it last night. And, like, when I watched it last night, I was like, damn, I really like this. Like, even more than I thought I did. And I thought I liked it. So, 40 yeah, is same. Very, it's almost offensive to me. It is very offensive. And, like, I don't want to... You gotta say it. Go say <laughs> I don't want to say racism. I don't want to say racism, but I feel like it's tinged, right? Because I'm like, y'all was all in when it was the white man as the lead. But this is too far for you. But it's just a continuation of the story. So, it just feels... <sighs> whatever it's fine <laughs> no yeah i i definitely i think it was and i i think that's always a hard sell regardless of what the situation is when it's a change mm-hmm. of actor when you because again they did such a great job of making uh rally like a really like likable character that people root for and like care about and so i understand like that person not coming back being sure. a big part of you not wanting to see it but I feel like if you then went to go see it anyway or you watched it at home, whatever, for what it was, I'm like, I don't see how, like, you didn't enjoy it. Yeah, how it would. There are things I can understand not liking about it because there are things, like, I can't put my finger on them exactly that irk me in the moment, mm-hmm. but they, like, leave because I'm enjoying myself. But, like, <laughs> I will say, like, tonally they're different because there is a touch of humor in the first yeah. one and it is always the, like, kind of a, well, okay. So when it's everybody but Newt and Gottlieb, it is a very kind of subtle, dry humor. Newt and Gottlieb are there to be a wacky. They're the wacky scientists that are just, they have a naturally yeah, funny banter and all this kind of, you know, quirky, whatever, energy. So there's that kind of humor. In the second one, there's a lot more mm-hmm. like Jake is funnier. He like makes jokes. He's like, if you act right, you could look like me. Or like jokes like just like making 
he even makes like yeah. a joke about like Nick being handsome and sexy. He was like, "Yeah, I'm Nick, and I'm handsome and sexy." He's like, "But he is handsome and sexy though." Like yeah. jokingly, so it's much more as a character. He's much more jovial than Rally or Stagger. Yeah. So that's the difference. It's totally different. But then I feel like he needs to be because his character is someone who was all in and then, you know, took off and he kind of thinks it's a joke now, you know? Right. Which is, to him it is because, you know, it's like I lost my dad and it's whatever now, you know, kind of thing. So I feel like him making light of it is like a coping mechanism, but also it rings true for the character. You know, like he is not with it anymore. I think it's just a different care, like a different type of person. Like everybody's not serious. Everybody's not chill. Like that's just yeah how it is. Like you have Nate, which is again Scott Eastwood's character, and it's like he's the one that takes it seriously and it's more stern. But he's also not that. Like he's closer to, and I guess he was. I don't think he was meant to be rally, but he was definitely meant to appeal to like if you want that structure or whatever. He doesn't have enough gravitas yeah. as an actor for that. I need to say that. Like I don't want to. <laughs> Sorry to this Eastwood. He's a really beautiful man. But, like, he does not have the presence <laughs> to, like, give that. It's just Elba and that mustache. Like, everything he said, I was like, yep, exactly. Even when he was wrong or when I, like, <laughs> read his actions to be the wrong actions. Like, when he first was, like, trying to block Mako, I'm like, that's hater behavior. But it also made sense in the context of me being like, but look at, like, if he say it, you're going to listen, period. Like, he's not playing with you. Period. Right. Yeah, but with Nate, it feels like he's more moldable, which is kind of why. Yeah, Nate does not, he don't have it. Now. Yeah, no, that's why the kids be trying to walk over him all the time. (laughs) Right. They're commander. But he's also young, too, so that could be part of it. They're the same age. So, yeah, he's not an authority figure anyway. But he's supposed to be an authority figure, too. So, there's, like, also the group of teenagers who are the cadets who are being trained. Amara joins a group of teens who are training to be pilots you know they have their little banter and they have their little conflicts because some of them have been training for years and she just like pops in and like they let her train the program is difficult to get into but she also has proven skills she had already built her own whole entire jaeger by herself and also copiloted by herself so i mean she had the like mental ability to like stay in that control situation being a jerk about it is cater energy but anyway, so they become like, that becomes more of a, like a found family or like, you know, we're friends and we love each other, whatever. So I really like the story. I really enjoyed the, once we have gotten past the fridging, like I would really like the idea of there being a drone program and that, to me, that's realistic. Like, oh, we're not going to be having our people out here. Like the loss of life is like a lot when you are inside of it. But when there's, yeah. if they're drones, we lose the machine, but we have the people who are still able to pilot it. You know? Right. And so I like that conceptually, like, oh, yeah, a drone. But like Marco said, that can be like, can be hacked. That can be manipulated. Yeah. That can be intercepted in some way. And so I like that they immediately show away. But then my favorite thing about it is it's not even what we think it is. It's not even like, oh, somebody hacked it. It's literally something you really wouldn't have thought of. And I thought that was a fun, creative way. Like, we over here like, damn, somebody hacked these drones. Yeah. And they up in there. And come to find out, this mug, then just he's just been putting kaiju DNA in the drone like that's just not something we could have anybody in the world like, could have anticipated right like i can think of hacks and then try to think of ways to make it where it's unhackable. was such a like side character in the first movie so you're just like oh snap like <laughs> right. i love how and i also love the play on the villain because when they start talking about the drones we already are starting to suspect the the ceo of the, so her name is shao i believe we always starting to suspect Shao and she's like this really tough like do your job da, da, da. 
very like straightforward person. Yeah. She doesn't have like earlier in the movie. She doesn't really have a softening to her. So we automatically like, oh, she about to come out here with these drones and be acting a damn fool. Like even with that first attack when Obsidian Fury attacks, the, what they are projecting or what they want the audience to think is that she set up the attack so that she could prove why her drones are necessary. Yeah. And that's what it seems like, right? We all like, damn, she up to no good in the hood. Right. But me, obviously, I'm always like, that's too obvious. So they're not going to do that. But they might because they do it all the time. But I was mm-hmm. actually genuinely surprised that they did not do it. They went with Newt being basically like he just lost his damn mind. And I love that. I really think like people, that's one of those things that people are like, stupid. But that's like, it's A, it actually makes sense with what they've established in this universe of how Drifting works and stuff. But also, nobody would have, like, nobody's thinking like, oh, he's getting being controlled. Yeah, nobody's, nobody's checking for the little scientist that everyone's just messing with. One of the things where I thought that was a fun way to, A, like they connected the stories in that way. And that's a good continuity because we were like, because he already did show like a proclivity. Like we like, he is kind of really into like dripping with these brains. Like he didn't turn <laughs> up on this. So I like that they didn't forget that. Right. It's like a whole, they made it a thing. So I really love that play or like the villain because we're all like, oh, shout up to no good. She And then she ends up being a hero of it. Like she ends up being one of the heroes. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So it's one of those situations where like, I don't think they should have killed Mako. Yeah. But I do love that they let Shao be an overt hero. And not like, they didn't make her look stupid. Like, even though Newt worked for her and all that happened under her nose, it's like they also put in the story reasons why she wouldn't have caught it. Like, he's like, well, 30% of your company is automated. So it's like, it's not that you're not looking. It's that, like, these are not being run by people. Like, we it's automated right so mm-hmm. if he's working in areas that we don't have humans interacting with like nobody gonna see it so it's not like she got made a fool of because he just took advantage of a system that that was already in place yeah exist yeah and then i also love that as soon as she understood what was happening she was immediately on the fix like it wasn't like i'm gonna sit there and feel sorry about the situation like oh well let's get this handled and it was like yeah. she was on that shit and she didn't blame anybody else she was just like this is what we doing so i love that to me that was one of those things where you just make a character cool and then i love that it just happened to be a woman of color right yeah i'm glad that was a woman of color she ended up being a really fun character because of the fact that she was because you really like they played her in the first half like she really wasn't shit like or she was just like yeah selfish and really just about get the money and all this but it's like when you when you think about it the company don't need the money yeah she was just doing her job <laughs> right it was one of those things where like clearly her intentions are good but yeah you don't see it until you see it and you have to think in this world a lot of people do have trauma surrounding all of the jaegers and the kaiju so it's like she's trying to prevent loss of life because I'm sure she's been in multiple situations where she has seen so much life lost because of either the Jaegers or the Kaiju coming and, you know, tearing stuff up. Right. I like that they play it in the beginning of her being, like, very protective of the company. Like, she's how I worked my whole life for this. And it's played very much like, you know, she's about the glory and, like, her business. And then you realize, clearly she actually cares about this in a deeper way. I just love that they let her become a hero. Yeah. They didn't really do damsels in this. Yeah, not really. Which is what I love that they carried over from the first one. I think another thing we didn't really talk about is that a lot of people in the positions of power are not white people. <laughs> right. That's what I was well, saying about, we can't really say it's America. I'm like, a lot of yeah, a lot of these people are not American. A lot of these people are like, it's a lot of Japanese. They have like, they have Russians. They have, yeah. So it's literally a coalition and they literally have that reflected in 
every level. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at the people on the ground, when you're looking at the people that are building the Jaegers, when they have crowd shots, they're always diverse. When you have the people piloting the Jaegers too, because like even like all the children are like, <laughs> they're all almost all of them are people of color actual diverse and not diversity you know different colors of white people it's like literally people from that look like they are from different parts different continents like it's very diverse first and second film so i love that they carried that through because the most fiction to me about this it's not the kaiju it's not the Yeagers. the most fiction to me is that something happens that will actually get these countries to like be bedfellows you know what i mean like that we gonna cooperate. Know, That's like, the big but, fiction to me. But if that were to happen, that is what it would look like. Twenty twenty to present. So that's a lie. <laughs> that is what it should look like. And I hate in other films, TV shows, game, whatever. When you have like a society where there's like a world council or some kind of world, it's still homogenous. If all of these countries are apparently represented here, why are all the representatives of that organization that is supposed to be a world organization <laughs> always all white? Yeah. And I love that, again, a lot of people in power are people of color. Because even in the first one, it's like you have Pentecost, who was Idris Elba, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. leading that whole thing. You have, um, like, his second in command. I don't know the command structure, actually, so I can't say the second in command. But they do have, like, different people of color in, like, the command center. You know, they have a good you know what? Okay. I'm sorry, this is random, but this just made me think about those um videos of, you know, every line spoken by a person of color. And I'm like, this one would actually have some some girth to it. Both of these. This would be a good two-thirds of the movie because like the main characters yeah. are people of color. Like Mako and Pentecost are people of color. And Riley's white when you take everybody else. Yeah. And I just not saying there's no white people, but there's enough people of color where it doesn't feel like you can count each person of color. Whereas like some films, it's like, yes, you have diversity, but it's still, I still notice them. And I notice them because there are not enough of them. Whereas this one is the opposite. Yeah. In the movie, it's like diversity in the background, but in this, they're in the right. forefront. And they're like people in charge. So yeah. yeah, I love that about this. But I also like twist not even I guess it is a twist though. But like the twist is really fun to me. And I'm like, I don't think audiences or anybody would expect that. What they did with new, I thought that was fun. Because it also was a situation like if they close the breach, what is happening? Like what is the second movie? Now again they could have just opened up another breach, which they was you know trying to do with these they were trying to do it. The drones were trying to open up some more breaches, but they put the kibosh on that real quick. Because, um, like I said, Shia was about that <laughs> life, and she was very quick with figuring out how to close them them gaps. It was just, and I also thought, it, okay, so the big story, or I guess the main thing they were figuring out is like where 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 were the kaiju going in the first film? And it was like they just always come from the coast and start they just start moving like they don't <laughs> like there was never, and so what they came up with was that basically all the kaiju were trying to get to a source of rare earth elements because their blood reacts very uh heavily to it the kaiju were trying to get the mount fuji so i guess they could jump in there and it would create such a huge reaction because of the amount of those elements you know in the volcano or whatever and that it would basically create like a an event where basically we would terraform the planet because of all the gases that would be released from that action it made sense to me (laughs) it was like because that is true like they all come they come from the coast because that's where the hole was right and they never got that far because they were stopped but like if they were all allowed to get to their destination this is where they were trying to go i didn't have a problem with that that was a good continuity thing to me too but i just it made sense to me like it was not just silly yes always in a way that i still think actually works for this world i don't know i just thought it was funny and i really like the characters 
the first and second one have a similar problem with there being way too many, or not even too many people. I think it's an accurate amount of people. Like it should be a lot of people because these are they are like bases. It's always personnel around whatever. But there are so many characters. Mm-hmm. In the first one, they did it better because, like, we are introduced to, like, oh, here's the pilots for, you know, the Red Riot and, like, the Russians. And we know kind of who they are and what they, the purpose they serve and the story, but they, we're not, like, expected necessarily yeah, to be invested in, in them. Right. It's like we are expected <laughs> to be invested in them as, like, a part of this resistance. And so if we lose them, it's sad because that means that's one less opportunity for us to finish our final mission. The second one has the problem where they have yeah. all them teenagers in there and we don't get to really know them that much. So yeah. when they are in the end, you know, or when they are like, they they end up being like the last four, which I think is also a cute kind of callback <laughs> to the first movie, which is like the last four that are standing and able to fight. And these are the only pilots that were not injured because they were, they're trained, they were trainees basically. Um, I love that they had that kind of callback with the four last ones. But the point is, you have so many of these kids, and it's always, again, if something happens, it's sad because you don't want to them to die, you know. But it's like you can't yeah. really feel nothing because it's not, we don't have time. We don't spend enough time with those characters. So, like, yeah, it's like there's stuff going on and we don't have time for teenage shenanigans. <laughs> but, like, yeah, they just don't have time to really, like, let us, like, we get to know Amara because. She interacts with Jake. Yeah, and Jake is it literally does feel easily. like though that they could have just you know got rid of her after the first act, you know. But the because the, there's not enough adults and there's not enough main like that's the problem. They don't have enough people to pilot. So I get the function of her. The problem is that they had her with the other teenagers, but we don't get to spend that much time with the teenagers outside of those like a few little yeah. moments. And so we kind of get the we get the idea that there's camaraderie, and I do think they sell that well with like how they like when uh, she first gets there, and like homie shows her the bunk, and she's like, oh, she's just mad because she tried to get in a few times, and teaches her Russian. Like they do it, it's just not enough of it for how much or like how much they end up being like the heroes. They are really the heroes yeah, too. Like it's that's true. They don't get we don't get to the end end without these kids, but we don't have enough information about the kids to be fully invested in whether or not they survive so it's kind of fucked up but i think they do like it's not a horrible job they have done worse like i've seen things where like y'all are hinging so much on people i literally cannot care less about and i think they do a okay job of like making them feel like important but not important like they didn't do enough to fully get us there like the way we felt about like mako and and rally like it's only really Amara, but you care about True. Amara kind of in context of Jake as opposed to Amara and her friends. So it's one of those things. They didn't quite hit that balance right for me. Like, I just like how they connected it again back to the first movie with the last four Jaegers and like, this is the resistance. Like, we are the only ones that can stop this thing from happening. And like, that was a good callback. And my favorite, so this is my, I, I don't know if I just did not remember this or didn't fully understand what had occurred, <laughs> but Newt is out. He in Tokyo because apparently he just be out here flying around. He in Tokyo and he unleashes. Like in the first movie, they have these little like ticks or whatever that the kaiju have on them. Like, like these little bugs. I don't know. They don't explain what they are, but they are just, they're infested with them. He has like, I don't know, some, I don't know. He manufactured some version of that. I assume is what they are meant to kind of be. He unleashes like, I don't know, thousands of these mites. The mites go to the kaiju that have been like beat up at this point. Like, mend them together. They form a mega kaiju. The three independent kaiju are bonded, like fucking sewn together, like 
bonded together to create one big mega kaiju. So they make like a Voltron kaiju, three in one. This bad boy, huge. Yeah. He got hella eyes. And I was like, that's the coolest shit ever. <laughs> like, I was like, no, because I don't know. I don't know if it's that I didn't know what happened or wasn't paying enough attention to like really fully grasp what was occurring. I'm like, bruh, a three in one. Like, it's a huge damn kaiju. Yeah. That is the kind of thing I come to these kind of films to see. Like, just outright. Yeah, visually, it's very cool. Like, it's super cool because, A, it's like, but I just love the look of that kind of mega monster. But also, I love that, like, one or, you know, like, they're kind of manageable independently. Um, and they all have a kind of a, a, a thing that they can do. But then you, if you get the one that got, he can do all the things, what, like, what do you do? What can you do? And that's why they had to, at the end, when they fight now, when he almost at the top of Mount Fuji, they basically have to hit him with a whole Jaeger suit because that's the only thing they can yeah. really hit him with. So they, like, have to do the whole go up in the space with the rockets that they invented kind of on the spot. Not on the spot. Golly, he did the math. He was thinking about it for the whole movie. I love that they they was like, I have an idea about these rockets. And then by the end of the movie, they're like, we using these damn rockets, boy. Like, I love that. But yeah, they basically had to throw the Jaeger suit at him. And the impact from it falling from like the atmosphere, you know, knocks the kaiju out. That's the only way. Now, my thought was like, he real close to that volcano still, though. Like, don't, like, if he gets some blood splatter, we might still be at a loss. Like, <laughs> I was like, if the blood splatter, we might still have an event on our hands because he's real close to the top of the mountain. But I guess it was a, it was a moot point. <laughs> like I thought that was a fun, creative thing, and also like a cool character design thing. But also as an action movie, like how do you one up when you start with a damn monster the size of a building or bigger than buildings? How do you one up that? And they said, let's let's get three of them, and like and not even two of them, three of them, <laughs> and let's like make them into one mega monster. And I'm like, wow, bravo, that's inspired. Because that's like how you do it. Like that's how you. Cause we all like, oh, they can fight one on one. Like they're taking them out. It's not too bad. Like they still getting beat up. Like this. I mean, we lose one of the teenagers. Um. But on the whole, I feel like we're doing pretty good considering how many people we lose in the first movie to just one or two kaiju. So I'm like, at least you know, they held their own. Um, right. We've learned some skills. So that, that to me, it's like a lot to like about that movie. And also it's like a brighter and a more like, I think that's also what maybe put people off because the first one was so grounded and it somehow it felt very natural. First one is not slick. It feels very lived in. You know what I mean? Like everything felt like textured in a way that felt real. It looked real. It looked not necessarily like grunge and grimy, but it looked like a world that had been inhabited and lived in for a while. There was like wear and tear. And that was like the whole look and feel of the film had that vibe to it. And it was a choice. You know it was a choice because then when you, like when when Newt goes to visit Hannibal Chow or whatever, his like operation is very slick and very techno and very bright and very... And so you know that when they're not doing that, that is a specific choice. Like here... At the Shatter Dome, it's bare bones. We are, like, using every resource to, like, make these Jaegers operable and make sure things pop off. So we're not worried about, like, glamour. You know what I mean? Like, it's not glamour. It's not the point. We aren't doing neon lights. None of that. We're just trying to be functional. I love that. The first movie looked so real. The second one is much more slick. So when you are looking at them juxtaposed to each other, the second one feels more like a movie. 
It feels much more like a block, like we're trying to make a blockbuster movie. And I can see how that puts people off because that 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 does lend itself more to like a Transformers. Yeah, they definitely raised the budget for that second one. Right, they went much more not in in how it looked because I actually think they kept the quality of like the design and whatnot. But it definitely was like more vibrant, more video game, more kind of like slightly more futuristic, which I guess makes sense because it is ten years past that and just more vibrant but i think that's a i think that was intentional like i think they that was one of the ways they were trying to set itself apart from the, the first one and one of the ways that it was establishing itself as something different because like it is a different setting it is a different time all this stuff is 10 years old in the first movie you know what i mean like <laughs> the second movie they have quite advanced past that so i like that but i do i can see how that would have been something that put people off they were very brought into it with that like realism and that kind of lived in look of the first film and the second one felt more slick and much more sci-fi and much more kind of in your face um sci-fi but i still liked it i don't know (laughs) what um what do you think the biggest disconnect was between the scores for the first one and the scores for the second one like for you what do you think people like what the discrepancy is between those two like the reception of those two films i think it's time to be honest, you know, that wait between the two films. I think it really um, brought down the numbers a lot when it came to the second film. And people probably either didn't return to it at the time or saw it later and were like, eh, you know, it's not as great as the first one. Like that energy of it. But um, it actually is really solid and it still holds up. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking that as I was talking, I was like, I think it actually might just be that people came into it expecting it to like match the first one in like tone and in Mm -hmm. style and that's the two things they specifically made a choice to change like i don't think those were accidents i think those were choices um and because of those choices i think people were like oh this is different so yeah it's also the yeah so five years between them um so there is that but i also think people are just like it could also be the characters as well because i think people really wanted to see what Mako would be up to. Like, why is she still not out here being a badass fighter, but not realizing, you know, there's 10 years, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like there's ten, a 10 year gap between the two. So it's like, she ain't going to be out here fighting all these things by herself, yeah. you know, for 10 years. I'm sure it takes, well, we saw in the first movie, you know, that it takes a toll on the body. Yeah. I think that was one of the things that too, was like the, the, the fact that, and there's not that nobody came back. We actually had like, <laughs> Newt and Gottlieb, which mm-hmm. I don't know that they would have been the draw for anybody. Like, oh, I want to see them. But, like, that's not a <laughs> yeah. big, you know, like, it's none of the main cast came back. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, Michael came back, but she didn't, she wasn't back in the capacity of a lead. Yeah, she wasn't heavy in it. Right. And then, obviously, if you've seen it, you realize, like, oh, is y'all gonna bring her back and then do this? So, it's a disrespect. So, yeah, I think that is the biggest gap. Because for me, at first, I thought I was, like, I had a different idea, I think, of it before. And I was just like, oh, people are comparing them. And da 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 But I was like, no, yeah. I think it's just, they are stylistically very different. So I can now, as I'm thinking about it, I can understand how you would like the first one and not the second one. Even if, like, fundamentally, mm-hmm. I think the story is very similar. I think the, the structure yeah. is similar. But they are just different. They, they make different choices about what they want to prioritize in terms of, like, characters and what they prioritize in terms of, like, visuals. And it kind of gives you like, like the tone of the film when you look at it is more like, like it feels like they're just putting together these things. You know what I mean? Like it feels like the very beginnings of that. Yeah. Yeah. It still has a very homegrown and very like 
this is a matter of we had a certain amount of time. Like we we had to do the best we could do in the time. Whereas ten years on in the mm-hmm. second film, it's all very polished. They have a like it's a well oiled machine. Those yeah. are both very specific choices that I think each perspective, you know, each respective uh, filmmaker made. But I think people who came into the first one really intrigued by and really connected to that look and feel and kind of like tone of that first film would be disappointed in the second film. So I kind of took back my initial thought of like, I feel just hating, but like it is, I do think people are hating to an extent because I do feel like it's a fun film and I do think it hits a lot of the important marks. Mm -hmm. I like, I do like the relationship they have in the second film, even though I do think that it's not as, they're not as strong and I'm not as attached as I was obviously in the first one. But I do like mm-hmm. that they didn't go with yet again. Like I like that they didn't really do a romance. I like that they they kind of played with the head old girl be like flirting with. Yeah, but I do like that they didn't go there either. Yes, I love that they didn't do it either with the adult cast or with the teens. I just love that they were like these mm-hmm. are people that are just working together and they care about each other. And I like that the major anchor relationship was a mentor because that is also these are the kind of relationships in real life that you have with people. You have your mentors and like people who. Older brothers, because we all got like a play brother or like a play cousin, somebody that's like a little bit older that like ends up kind of, mm-hmm. or you are that person for somebody. So I, I love that they kind of leaned into that type of relationship and didn't yeah. feel the need to make people be romantically involved with each other for them to care about one another. So that was another thing I like. We're going to get into the scores. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we changed up the metrics for this one because I obviously always want to tailor it to what I think make sense for what we're doing so we're going to see where pacific rim films land on the mess meter we're using a scale of one to five five being the highest and for this episode we're judging on the following criteria we're going with cast attractiveness because we got to talk about it character design specifically the kaiju and the jaegers scientific unsoundness my favorite category because we just talk about how much (laughs) or how much it does not work scientifically and earnestness and in this one that kind of means like how real do the characters feel are the characters and their relationships believable so starting with cast attractiveness we are doing both films so remember that um on a scale of one to five how attractive is the cast of the pacific rim film four and a half yes god no 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 notes. They did what needed to be done. They did, obviously. I, I mean, top to bottom. Even <laughs> this is a slightly off topic. Not really, though. So, like I said, me and Brianna ended up at the premiere for the second one. Like, we just thought we had tickets to go in and watch the movie. We didn't know that they was going to have us all on the red carpet because I would have dressed better. I would dress like a hobo. But I thought I was going to just go sit in that movie, mind my business. Not a hobo. A hobo! Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I got pictures with people, child. Oh, no. I might sham when we drop the episode so people can know I'm not even playing with y'all. But, like, they are, like, I'll start the caveat. The people that are playing teenagers, most of them are grown people. So when I say they're attractive, mm-hmm. like, they're really pretty or really cute, whatever, I'm not being creep <laughs> I just want to acknowledge that. Know like, that. I'm, not, I'm not like, oh, that 50-year-old boy sure is hot. But they are very, yeah. like, they are very attractive. Like, there's a, all, the, like, teenagers are attractive. The adults are attractive. Like, there's no, no, no. Like, literally, I have, like, the only yeah. people that are not really that attractive are, like, and I really do not want to do this, but I have to do this. But, like, Vern <laughs> Gorman kind of brings it down. Charlie Day Ashley's a cutie. He's cute, but yes. he's weird. He's cute in a weird way. Vern yes, Gorman in a weird way. is very interesting looking. <laughs> not interesting. <laughs> That's what I mean, like, interesting. And I, I love him because he is always interesting in things. Like, he looked like that, and so... 
it moved him <laughs> to be that way. If that makes it, I don't know how to explain it. He leaves. I, I know what you mean. How he looks. Funny. I know. Because I'm not trying to be, I got mean this in a most sincere way because I genuinely enjoy him and things. Like, even when he's in a very minor role, he stands out because of how he, like, his, he looks a certain way, but then he then acts a way to support his looks. I don't know how to explain that, but, so yeah, but 4.5, everybody's hot pretty much. Like, everybody. Like, hello. <laughs> like, y'all did what y'all had to do with that one, so that was easy. For the next one, character design. So, in this case, we're talking about, like, how the kaiju look and how the Jaegers look mm-hmm. so what is your score i'm trying to think like because i'm doing both movies in my head right now so i'm like uh four four yes let's go with four okay four i think mm-hmm. i'm gonna go with the 4.5 okay. and i the reason why i'm going high honestly i kind of almost want to overcompensate into a five and the reason why I say this, because we had talked about this before, or we talked about it before we started recording. We were talking about like Transformers and people use that as an example of like, yeah. oh, this is Transformers with Kaiju in it. But here's the thing. Transformers no. character design is very cool. But if you don't have the paint jobs, they are not distinct to me. I cannot tell that. And I've seen all the Transformers, like, and I mean all of them, several times. Multiple times. So I'm not saying this as a person who saw it in the movie once 10 years ago and it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, I still cannot sometimes tell what the hell is going on. I've seen movies enough times to, like, not have to watch the movie actually. Yeah. And Pacific Rim, you know what I do realize? Like, I haven't had the TV I have for, like, I haven't had, like, a year. And I don't know <laughs> if I've watched them since I got my TV in my room. I don't know. But, like, I can see every, like, I can see so many details. And I can always tell which, I can tell which Jaeger is fighting. Like, I can always tell which Jaeger it is. I can tell different kaiju apart. I think that's, like, it was kind of like what I said about Jurassic Park, how they would have some of the dinosaurs were, we saw in the previous movie, they would kind of do something, like have a scratch or something that they got mm-hmm. in the first movie, come back in the second movie, whatever. Stuff like that. So it stood out. I like what they did with the Jaegers here as well. It's like, yeah, obviously Avenger, because we're not doing the name. <laughs> it's not the same one, because in the first one, it gets blowed up. Like, let's be yeah. clear. But they try to take the energy of that first character and then bring it to the second version. But obviously, the second one is a much more, like, yeah. a newer, a smoother, whatever version of that. It's like when you upgrade your phone. Right. So, I thought they did a really good job of carrying over that language from the first film to the second film. So, between mm-hmm. the two films, it was a really good kind of natural progression of the the way the Jaegers look. But also, again, they made, a like, a Voltron, like a build up <laughs> a build up monster kaiju You're not gonna get over it it it, it like had you, level i know to when it. you keep saying voltron though like i'm seeing voltron but also i'm like power rangers <laughs> i reason i use voltron more to me that's a better comparison than yeah transformers because voltron is multiple like it's people controlling their own they controlling it as a collective you know what i mean where transformers mm-hmm. are sentient robots that are like that is their anatomy yeah so i think that's a better comparison generally but yeah so for me i'm gonna go 4.5 because there are like some things that are not perfect but i do think actually i really like how discernible all of the characters are i think as you mentioned before that it's really cool about how because of the 10 year gap they're like it shows the difference between the two you know like mm-hmm. one's giving chappy and then the other one's giving <laughs> the future. And also, I another thing, 
in that same vein is that Obsidian Fury, because that's his name and it's cool as shit, it moved different, which I don't know if it's a character design thing, but that's where it falls in this. So it moved different and it was different because it was a kaiju. It was like a hybrid. It was a kaiju Jaeger. Yeah. And that was noticeable before they revealed that. Like, it was like, why is this thing, like, this mug moving real smooth? Like, like these yeah. are, it's much smoother it's smooth. than the Jaeger. Like, just stuff like that. I thought they did a really good job with that on both films. In the first film, even though, like I said, they went with, like, a darker and a more gritty tone, which I think complimented that film very well because also everything was done in panic like every single thing that happens in that film is a panic response whereas mm-hmm. the second film they have had time to prepare and like that's why it makes sense to me but despite yeah. how dark it is everything is still very discernible to me yes and i also love that the creature design yeah they say this in the first movie the precursors have been here before during the time of the dinosaurs and like if you look at the kaiju they look like prehistoric versions of animals we we're used to so like some of them look like crabs. You know, not like our little smooth, little cute little crab, but definitely they look like a prehistoric version of a crab. So I'm thinking of yeah. like, they came, they was like, oh, this is what life looks like here. Like, we're going to make a version of that. <laughs> Actually, they were mimicking, like if they had came here and humans had already been existent, Kaiju might've just looked like big ass humans. You see what I mean? Like, I like the idea that they yeah. came, they saw what animals and what creatures look like on this planet and made versions of that to come back but obviously times have changed <laughs> like i don't know how time works in the other you know whatever they wherever they at but i love that the creature design looks to be like oh this is kind of like oh we've seen a prehistoric shark they don't look like the shark look now but they look like a shark would have looked a few evolutions ago yeah i love that you know what i'm a i'm a round mine up to a good old five five, five yeah. and yours was a <laughs> four right yeah i was noticing all that last night i'm like oh damn this looks like that's a big old crab but not like a crab that we know like an old crab that you see in the museum <laughs> i don't know if that was the intention if it just worked out that way but that's what i picked up from it so y'all get a five for that bravo to you all right so oh scientific unsoundness let's tell y'all how much of a not scientist we are <laughs> What do you rate this on scientific unsoundness? So I say unsoundness, but like five being like you think it's actually. Oh, five meaning it makes sense. Yes. I'm not a scientist, so. <laughs> but We are not scientists. You think about it like, does it. Does it make, make sense? Make sense with, with your understanding of science or like what you know about the world or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do I think this is making Jaegers is possible? Absolutely. Um, do I think what splicing in DNA and making Jaeger pieces is possible? Yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? Makes sense to me. So I'm going to give it a 4.5. Okay. So I think I'm going to go with the same. I think the, or I think Jaegers are one of the best versions of that kind of thing we've seen because they feel extremely limited in terms of movement, in terms of how they work, because they are piloted by humans and because they were built by humans in 2000, whatever. I think it takes place in, might be this year now. I think about it. It feels like it's doable. Like we, if we all as a collect, like the world got together and put all the best people on it, we could definitely build Jaegers, right? Yeah. They would definitely be moving slow as it like, like <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Cause it's just, <laughs> that's our technical limitations. So mm. I do feel like they could exist in some form or fashion and be somewhat functional. Now, maybe not to that, the level that they have but yeah. also maybe i can easily picture that being a toy that functions and works and it's smooth or whatever it's, yeah but also it's, like scaling we up. have to put in like we don't know all the government tech that we have so <laughs> so i mean it's possible and thinking about all the stuff we don't know exists and all the stuff that we don't have the they just ain't putting money behind or we don't know they put money like yeah with the right money and the right 
minds behind it, I definitely think Jaegers are possible. So that no, it actually says really it crazy. takes place in um in twenty twenty five. So okay, I mean big things coming out of the ocean. Well, yeah, if it takes place in twenty twenty five, but <laughs> it had been multiple years since they had started the Jaeger program. That's what I yeah. think I was getting confused because I remember them saying something about yeah, I don't like, know. But I remember yeah, thinking like, oh, this is technically the past for me watching it in 2022 or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, I think the, the first, first appearance is around. like 2013 and then they start going for it in 2020, you know, with the Jaeger pilots and then where present day is 2025, so. Yeah, so like by this point, like in this, our present day, it would be, they would just be scrapping them bad boys. They would have a good idea of them, but it wouldn't be the best <laughs> versions of it. So yeah, so that's believable to me. I also think, because I watch a lot of things, where there is some variation of like interdimensional and or space travel. I say mm-hmm. and or because sometimes they're the same and sometimes they're not. But yeah. I like that they made it distinctly interdimensional, which so it's like it's not like, oh, it's aliens, which it is still, whatever. Like, but yeah. it's not like aliens from space. It's like they are just in another plane of existence and they like found a way into our our universe. I love that yeah. they use universe specifically. And they use dimensions specifically. I like that the characters use that because sometimes the characters don't understand what's happening. Yeah. But we as the audience are told what's happening. But I like yeah, that we are all definitely on the same start page. off giving us the dialogue. Right. They definitely were like these they come from a different dimension. The mm-hmm. breaches. So I feel like from what I know based on like the limited amount I know about real science, but also just how this stuff tick like functions in other stories, that mm-hmm. they actually did a really good job of like the mechanism for how the breach exists and how it works. So I really love that. I think where it falls apart a little bit is in the second film with the Kaiju DNA, which is yeah. very bonkers. Like how, cause how does that work? Cause like <laughs> they say the company is automated. And I guess the implication is that, that he, that Newt was using the company's resources. Yeah. To, to spice like, to, yeah. To do the like cloning part. But, characters in the movie say like oh they don't have a bio division so like where is he getting the the biological matter stuff like that so that's yeah. why i was like you almost had it that just it was, it was a few questions i need to answer in that one but like <laughs> it also still made sense if y'all have an ex- like if there's if he has a like a supply line i understand how it works so again it functions for me so it makes sense so that's why i'm gonna say i'm gonna keep it at 4.5 but i actually think the science Especially in the first one, they installed the science. To me, that makes a lot of sense. And it mm-hmm. makes it way more grounded and more believable than sometimes when it's a space. Because, like, a lot of stuff is observable that, like, can be de- debunked when you use space. But when you kind of use interdimension, it's like, but look, it's a different <laughs> dimension. They got different math than we got. You know, it's like, it's like it's stuff work differently. Whereas yeah. space work the same, even really far away. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we observe space so we know that these rules still apply on Mars or whatever. Whereas yeah. in a different dimension, we don't know what rules do and don't apply. So you can kind of make up stuff. So yeah, I agree. I thought they actually had really good science in terms of the believability and how it works for like what our understanding of it is. Like I'm sure real scientists could break down everything wrong. Oh yeah. But they the point is that movie for us. Right. But the point is that <laughs> as a lay person, I'm watching it. I can follow the science completely and don't feel lost at all. And I understand yeah. the mechanics of everything. Finally, earnestness. Um, in this case, uh, how real do the characters feel? And are they um, believable? The are the relationships believable? As far as the first movie, we were talking about how Raleigh seems really believable and mm-hmm. how his relationship with Mako is 
you know, it's, it makes sense in, in, um, Pentecost as well. So that one definitely ticks all the boxes. And I think for the most part, so does the second one. I mean, you could see Jake being the way he is because of growing up in like this rigid, (laughs) you know, his rigid life of, you know, basically having a military father and then all of that crashing down and him being like, what's the point and kind of wilding, you know? Yeah. And then um, picking up the mantle and becoming responsible when he is now a superior to this child who kind of look up, looks up to him and everyone within the program because like she was friggin' fangirling when they got there, you know, she knew all of the, the Jaegers, the pilots, <laughs> all of that stuff. So I think that for earnestness, I would definitely give it a five. I think because it doesn't feel fake at all to me yeah you know I agree that's what again I think the first one really draws me in and what keeps me coming back to it it really feels like a believable universe like it feels like something that I can really see happening like in a way that a lot of movies I'm like this is fun but I don't I don't know yeah it has a realness to it that is like I really love it's still a very fast story. Yeah. This is taking place over a very short period of time. We're not getting to spend that much time, but we understand why and these characters are this way and how they function in this world because of really human moments they have and these memories and things that we get to see. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is a really strong thing they did in the first movie. And then in the second film, like I said, I think they had too many characters that we were supposed to have that, that way, but we couldn't because it just wasn't time. Like mm-hmm. with all those teenagers, it's like, why? The why are they here of it all? What drives them? We don't get that because we just don't have time to explore it with every single one of them. But we kind of get yeah. the idea that like they all genuinely wanted to be there and they wanted to be a part of it and wanted to do have service. They did kind of talk to one of them, you know, his dad, plastic surgeon who worked with the titties. And so they was like, you know, he worked with titties, you know, whatever. They had like mm-hmm. kind of jokey conversation, but it, on, on the whole, we like we know they want to be there for themselves. Like that's a choice they made. It wasn't like forced on them. And that it's extremely difficult to get into the program. So they had to work their butts off to get there. Right. So we get that bit of character. And I do think like what we get with them does feel very realistic to me and how they react to each other and how they act and how they are in situations. To me, teenagers in movies are either extremely fucking dumb or really too <laughs> smart you like you see some movies you like a 16 year old is not making these good decisions like these are way too many calculated <laughs> smart decisions yeah that are being made that it's like doesn't feel realistic but there's the opposite too they're like where teenagers have no damn sense at all and i yeah. love that they kind of threaded that needle of being like they are reckless because they are young and they don't really fully understand they've seen the world fall apart so they do know that there's consequences to things yeah they've grown up in this broken world of ridiculousness like when they go to check out obsidian fury when they got them laid out Mm -hmm. and amara's just extremely curious about it yeah that makes sense to me that's something i see a teenager doing even the ones who are like disciplined because there's the curiosity is a lot yeah how they react makes sense to me and Mm -hmm. when they're on the field and when they're like actually in battle and the two they're like we got it and then you know they don't have it and John, no. you know jake is like teenagers man they just don't you know how they don't listen yeah. and that to me felt realistic for the most part how they acted just felt very real so this is one of those situations where i almost wish they would have made it about the teenagers the thing is i love john boyega so i gotta yeah. like <laughs> if i gotta choose i'm gonna choose my man right but i almost wish they would have gave us having the adults be observers more so mm-hmm. that slight adjustment to me would have made the difference but i think on the whole I really love 
the characters. I don't believe that Scott Eastwood has the gravitas to have like an authoritative presence. He just does not to me. I in nothing, like in anything. <laughs> so it's like squad. I think he was like the leader of one of the actual military units and I was like, he couldn't tell me shit. He couldn't tell me a thing. <laughs> but I do think him and Jake played off each other really well. I think him yeah. and John played off each other really well. They felt like they was those kids, right? Like they felt like they had been those kids mm-hmm. and then they grew up and like he just actually grew up with the respect for that circumstance and Jake rebelled against yeah. it, like you said. Yeah, no. So yeah, I don't know. I agree with you. I'll give it five. My favorite thing about Pacific Rim is that it feels like a thing that can happen. Oh, do you want to see, would you like, would you want to see another, like a sequel or other live action? Like a trilogy? Like series or anything? I mean, I'd be down for it, obviously, because I feel <laughs> like if they're going to do it at this point, there's been so much time that they could really have a good story in mind. Yeah. So yeah, I'd watch that. Um, I know there's a cartoon, but I have not watched it. Have you watched it? I want to say I've started. I want to say, here's the thing. Animated (laughs) things, I can watch them and then they can leave my brain. So I actually think I did watch it. I just don't remember it. Um, Because I can, like a lot of times I put on animated stuff and it's not my primary thing. Like it'll be on, but I'm not focused on it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say I watched it, but I'm not 100%. But yeah, I would like to see a live action series that, what I love about this also, they have a 10 year break so they can actually tell a story before. Yeah. Like it could be a story about how they got from like the end of the last movie to like where they now have a worldwide Jaeger force or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like that could be a cool story. And then because they are recruiting much younger cadets, we can get like different age levels of like cast members and people being like, we have the people just coming in, 14, 15 year old, but we also have the like young adults who were teenagers or who were like kids during the first attack like those kind of different experiences can be explored so i like that um i also like the idea of a prequel and like seeing like the first time a kaiju before they have jaeger so like how are we dealing with that how are we (laughs) taking them down at first because obviously they were dying this how they're taking (laughs) they're dying they were handling it for a while i mean people died but if they were coming and there was yeah. nothing happened. They wouldn't even got to the point where they were building yet. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they also got true. bigger. Cause remember, by the time this first movie, they're at category four. Mm-hmm. Assuming they started at category one, that mean they, you know, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. So category yeah. one was probably like the size of Amara's uh <laughs> Jaeger. They probably yeah. were just like really huge. And so they could probably just take them down with some good old artillery. And you know these the police in this country got that them tanks yeah. and shit so they probably was fine honestly like if i was fine to about category three i think category three is where they were like we need some, we need to we need some big things and now it's time for our final score the pacific rim duology gets 4.5 out of 5 on our mess meter which means it's fucking lit because we love mess today we are canceling the apocalypse okay fam you made it to the end of the episode we see you and hey We weren't just talking to each other. We were talking to y'all. We want to hear from you. Do you agree with us? Were we too lenient on Uprising? Hit us up at TSWDLPod on the bird, the same handle for the gram, and if you like the ghetto, like we know some of y'all do, hit us up on Facebook. All right, see you next episode. Peace. Peace.